This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad. Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar here, and joining me for today's episode is from Pro Football Focus, Eric Eager. Eric, how are you? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing great. We're kind of in that lull right now where we don't have OTAs just quite yet. We also are moving on a little bit from the draft, but I have draft-related analytics questions for you. And then also I want to look at what some of the other teams that the Vikings are facing this year have done in their off-seasons and how things might change for next year. But maybe we could start out with the Vikings' decision to draft a cornerback. I feel like Vikings Twitter and fans are still arguing with each other over this, the decision not to draft a guard but rather go with one of the top cornerbacks that they had on their board, as an overall positional value thing, Eric, how do you look at that? Because I think that guards are becoming more valuable, and and we can see that in how much they got paid in the offseason. But I also agree with Mike Zimmer, who says you can never have enough corners. Yeah, I'm more with Zimmer in the sense that I think, you know, cornerback is is a – I don't, I don't know, say twice as valuable or whatever, like put a number on it, but cornerback is substantially more valuable than guard in a vacuum. And so when you're looking at the Vikings and you see, you know, they've had issues at nickel last season, although the results were good. I think the process was a little, uh, you know, messy. Um, then you have Trey Waynes, who is a player that they're going to be paying double digit millions of dollars to in his fifth year option. If they want to extend him, that's going to be pretty expensive. Um, and so there, there's, I think when you look at the way that the Vikings have approached the offseason going, going sort of head in, you know, with, uh, Kirk Cousins, this is a pick that I think like sort of splits the difference between the win now mentality and the, well, we still have to coach the team. We still have to run the team if they don't end up winning the Super Bowl in the next three years kind of thing. So Mike Hughes sort of does that there. So I think from a positional value standpoint, it's, it's a, it's a good pick. I do, I do understand though, the people who are saying, well, the, the one position the Vikings need a starter in is guard. And so why didn't you go ahead and, and snatch one there? And, and as you, I think you've said multiple times, they just sort of the egg timer went off and all these guys were gone by the time they picked second. Yep. I look at it sort of through the two different lenses. Like, I think it's always good to draft a high end cornerback prospect if you can even if you already have other cornerbacks at the same time, you are all in to win in 2018. And this didn't really help you get to that point uh, with Trey Wayans. Cause I do want to circle back to what the numbers say about Mike Hughes and where he might fit in, but they decided to pick up his fifth year option 
And that was kind of a foregone conclusion for me. They drafted him in the first round. He took a big step last year. But what can we make of the step that he did take? Because with cornerbacks, I look at a lot of it as small sample sizes are a big deal with corners. And when I look at your pro football focus grades from year to year, you see a lot of corners that have a very good grade one year and then down the next year. It doesn't seem to be like offensive linemen where it's usually pretty consistent from year to year. It seems like there's a lot of variables there. So should we buy into Trey Wayans' 2017 or do questions still exist there? Uh, that's a great question. And, and in fact, cornerback is where we see the biggest variability. So it's this, it's this conundrum of value versus, versus stability. And so like, for example, run defense is extremely stable year to year. Once a guy figures it out as a run defender, he's good most of the time, um, or bad most of the time if he's bad, but it's not something that's super valuable. Cornerback is this issue where every single year you have a ton of oscillations and it's because of what you said. You're at the conclusion of a play, right? And, and we know that results are less stable than processes. Um, and, and, you know, and the samples are small, right? And so I think that that is to some degree, though, backs up the Hughes pick because we know that Wayne's had a good, a decent season last year, although he was taken apart in the NFC championship game. We know that he had a decent season a season ago, but we also know that that position is valuable and you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket because it's, it's oscillatory. Um, as you said, offensive line, defensive line, linebackers, we know more, but the, the, the cap on value is, is a little bit uh, lower. So, I don't know. I, that's kind of why I like the Hughes pick a, a little bit more than other people, just because we lo- know less about Trey Wayne. And frankly, like Xavier Rhodes, we know that he's good. We don't necessarily know a ceiling and floor quite as well. But, like, you know, we we don't know necessarily a ton about Trey Wayne. So this idea of, you know, sort of getting a backup there, all 22, all 11 starters for the Vikings defense in week one started the NFC championship game. We know that that's probably not going to happen again. So this sort of backs that up in a very important position. So I also look at with corners that your schedule might have a lot to do with your performance as well. And this year, when I go from quarterback to quarterback on this year's schedule, there are a lot of guys who you could see taking advantage of Trey Wayne's the way Aaron Rodgers did a couple of years ago or at the beginning of last season where we saw Drew Brees do it and we saw Ben Roethlisberger do it. I mean, the difference between how we viewed 2017 for Wayne's, the beginning was very rough when they were playing some of the better quarterbacks. As the season went along, they still played some good quarterbacks, Matt Stafford, Matt Ryan, Cam Newton, uh, but you also got some good breaks in there by facing Andy Dalton. You also went up against Mitch Trubisky with no weapons and the Packers playing with Brett Hundley. I don't think that that schedule was quite as thick with great quarterbacks as it was this year. Do you think that that could impact or at least give us a much better answer on whether Trey Wayans is a player that you want to lock yourself into long-term or a guy that maybe you let go after the fifth-year option? Right, and I think, and so this gets up to the sort of sample size issue. Maybe it's one of those things where a, a two years worth of, a, of data for a cornerback is equivalent to one year's worth of data for a defensive, you know, defensive lineman or a linebacker in terms of knowing how good he is. We do have two years of Wayne's data, 2016 quite mixed, 2017 better, but as you said, you know, when the quarterbacks, you sort of look at how he was generating his PFF grade or generating his I mean, he gave up over 900 yards into coverage if you count playoffs, right? So 
is still, I think, pretty mixed in terms of what, you know, what we know about Trey Wayne. The returns, I think, are probably, you know, the best way to say it is 2017 was encouraging, but I'm not, I'm not ready to, I'm not ready to, you know, forego being able to pick a guy like Hughes when they did. Uh, just because he had a decent stretch a season ago. And from that standpoint, I, I do like the Hughes pick. And on that night when they took him, I thought, okay, this makes a lot of sense because eventually if they can't afford to keep Xavier Rhodes and Trey Waynes down the road, then you're going to want to turn it over to Hughes. And you also just want to have a really good next man up when it comes to cornerback because this team was lacking depth for guys they could put outside if Rhodes or Wayans gets hurt, that they don't have too many guys that are reliable. At that point, they hadn't brought back Terrence Newman, and even then, he's going to be 40 years old. Mackenzie Alexander, as we've talked about a lot on the podcast, uh, at least at this point, has not proven that he can play any more than a rotational role in the NFL. So from all of that, you like the Mike Hughes pick. It's just when you get to day two and you don't, come away with a starting guard there's i think a reasonable criticism to be had but with hughes his grades that pff has for when he was being targeted how good he was in coverage they are all really really good so maybe you can explain what you see from hughes in the numbers and also the the potential conundrum with his small sample size too only really playing in 2017 Right. So we're talking about a guy, 884 snaps in 2017. Prior to that, not a ton uh, of work. But then also, I think then this is important, and this sort of talks about some of the work we've done trying to do college to pro projections. He played 23 snaps a season ago in the slot. And so if you're going to consider him as a slot player because of his size or, or, or his athletic profile, that is all you're going off of, right? Because we don't have data for him necessarily covering players in the slot. And we found that for, you know, for players who played outside in college and played inside the pro, we're far less able to predict how well they're going to do. Um, you know, so that, that is something. The other funny thing about it is almost 90% of the snaps were played at left quarterback, right? So uh, the position that, that Trey Wayne's played. But, you know, we, we had him. He was terrific. I mean, he gave up only a 43.8 passer rating into his coverage, which is, Almost as, you know, almost as bad as simply spiking the ball every single time. He was in the 27th on our big board at PFF, which is far higher than some of the guys we, the, the Vikings drafted later on. So he was, I think, a, a good value pick there. Um, but I, but I think if we're, if we're thinking about him as somebody who's going to possibly replace Mackenzie Alexander, you know, sooner rather than later, I would probably pump the brakes on that a little bit. I would say, you know, early on, he's probably somebody that can fill in on the outside. And, and return kicks and be a part of the special teams unit that last season for the Vikings was quite good. Well, now, now with moving him inside, what, what do you think the, the reason for that is, that it's so hard to predict? I mean, is, does it strike you as being so different as a cornerback position that it should almost be, when you guys do your grading, it should almost be separated? I, I kind of had that thought when, uh, you know, Dominique rogers Camardi two years ago was one of your highest-ranked corners, but it's like, okay, I mean, he's very, very good in that role, but is that really the same as what Patrick Peterson does? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. Patrick Robinson was another guy, as Vikings fans will remember. Um, he was drafted by the Saints and was, you know, pretty pretty poor as an outside player. And then all of a sudden we're like, well, what happened to Patrick Robinson? Like, well, he plays a different position now. And, 
And that's something that we've highlighted, and, and even people within our company sort of knew these things, didn't quite know the numbers necessarily. But, yeah, I mean, the slot cornerback position is different. Throwing the ball to the slot, for example, or to a tight end is worth more expected points for an offense than throwing the ball outside. So what a, that guy is asked to do is, is you know, different than what an outside player is asked to do. So um, I would say one of the issues that's currently going on in football is just that inside guys are considered failed outside guys, right? So mm-hmm. uh, the last the last one that we see is, you know, Captain Munderland was a pretty good slot cornerback. When the Vikings tried him as an every-down cornerback, when he first signed here, he didn't do quite as well. And, again, we see that. Or if a guy's too small, then he plays in the inside. And what I hope to see and what we kind of saw with Minka Fitzpatrick of Alabama is a guy who's literally trained to play inside. And, and you know, so then when he goes to the pros and plays this position that on the field 70% of the time, that he's actually got the reps in college to, to suggest that he'll be good there because there aren't that many players like that. And, and when they are like that, they're drafted lower. Uh, the Mike Hilton's, the, the uh, Brian Poole, who wasn't even drafted. But those are the guys, you know, who played slot in college, played in the pros, are actually successful, but they're not valued yet. Now let me get to uh, Brian O'Neill because we did a uh, breakdown we did a film breakdown on a podcast, which I thought actually worked better than I had expected and got some good feedback on that. So I appreciate all of you people who listened and sent me notes about it with uh, Brandon Thorne. But the, the thing we talked about most is just O'Neill's need for development and how it might take him a while. And there's a high ceiling, but also potentially a low floor. What was really interesting to me about O'Neill and pro football focus's view of him is that on the PFF big board, he's one spot ahead of Colton Miller, who has a similar athletic profile and was drafted in the first round. So what should be the takeaway from Brian O'Neill and the, the numbers behind him and where he ranked uh, per pro football focus? Yeah, and, and I think we're just starting to scratch the surface, and we'll get to this, I think, with Colby Gossett in a little bit, but on what guys are asked to do and then what they'll, what translates to the pro level, right? So at Pittsburgh, Brian O'Neill, you know, he – he gave up like 13 pressures his entire uh, his entire season. He gave up four in 2016. So he's a guy within that system who performed really well at the college level. Um, Colton Miller had you know worse you know worse statistics, but again playing possibly something that translates a little bit better to the NFL. And so we sort of see those guys as kind of like the same player, you know, like an athletic guy who needs to. Who needs, you know, as you guys have said, and I think I, I, you know, trust what you guys are saying, you know, bulk up, you know, become an NFL tackle physically before, you know, he can play. We sort of see that when we look at things like run blocking. He's, you know, far better in terms of his grade as a pass protector than as a run blocker. And you sort of, you know, you have to do both at the NFL level. Um, but, you know, as far as what he was asked to do in Pittsburgh, you know, he was very good at protecting the passer. And, and I think, you know, for a Vikings team that's, I think, transitioning a little bit more into some of, some of those more like, you know, you know, quick passing, you know, uh, you know, Kirk Cousins kind of like taking, you know, and then also deep drops with the play action and everything. I think that they're going to need tackles who can hold up maybe a little bit better in the future than guys like Remmers. Um, so I think, I don't know. I, I think that, you know, the, to come back to your question, I think that Colton Miller was just an open pick, right? Wherever, you know, Oakland took him. And I think O'Neill's probably, I still think it overpicked, but uh, possibly a better value at 62 than Miller was, I think, at, what, 18? Yeah, what do the numbers tell us about um, – I get. by the way, I, I don't think anyone was surprised that 
Oakland was the team to have taken yeah. him because they, they seem to be going in a direction that doesn't necessarily seem like the smartest by signing a bunch of older guys and then drafting a tackle uh, that might not be anywhere near as, as good as his athletic profile says. But what, what do the numbers say about a development curve with tackles? Um, Rick Spielman had mentioned to us that they did a study on this after they struggled so much and was talking about some guys who take a little bit longer to develop but eventually become good players. We saw that from Mike Remmers, who got cut from the Minnesota Vikings and then comes back on a big contract a few years later. So what what do we see from that and what people should expect potentially from Brian O'Neill? Yeah, so we, we have seen a little bit in terms of if you just look at, you know, college, last year of college, first year of pro, it's a lot less stable than, you know, entire college career, entire pro career. But, you know, most of what we've seen in terms of our data is, is limited just because we only have, I think, four years of college data. And, but we do see, though, that, you know, guys that generally grade well at the college level will grade well at the pro level. It's not as pronounced as uh, something like, you know, run stopping or pass rush, but it is more pronounced than things like, you know, uh, coverage and things like that. So we do know that the grades do translate pretty well. Uh, they translate better in pass protection than they do in, in run blocking. So what you can see, I think, a little bit there from that is just that run blocking, I think, takes a little bit more in, in terms of uh, development. And that's why you want to take guys, I think like they did with Gossett later on in the draft, you want to take guys whose data is suggestive that they can do things that the at the pro level what they did in college. So you don't want to necessarily take a guy who is in a sort of a gap man scheme and have him, you know, in zone blocking and things like that. You want those things to match up, which I think is pretty tough, you know, in a league where there's a lot of transients in terms of coaching, but the Vikings are relatively stable. So they have, I think, the ability to do that. Um, I do think that there's a lot more of projects being drafted at, you know, at offensive line because a lot of these college offenses don't do as much uh, things that they're going to be asked to do at the pro level. So it is t- it's a tougher projection, but it's still doable. And it's also such a p- tough position to just play, like in general. Uh, and it seems like there are so few guys that even have the potential to be a franchise left tackle. Like even the guy who's the top tackle pick, uh, Mike McGlinchey, there's still questions about whether he could be a franchise left tackle. They're so hard to find. So when you have someone like Brian O'Neill who does have good pass protection grades and has the athleticism to play at that position, you take him. And, and, you, and that's the thing about O'Neal is that I got a few tweets saying, oh, you guys ripped him apart. Well, more like we said, here are the areas where he needs to develop, but it's a good pick in, in the way that you have someone with a high ceiling that's very hard to come across. And he was still on the board there, maybe overdrafted from the standpoint that he can't play right away, or, but from a ceiling, that's exactly what the Minnesota Vikings look for is guys who are – athletically good enough to be great players, and then you'll have some boom and some bust. Uh, as, as we look at the later round guys, we haven't talked much on this podcast about Jalen Holmes and that pick, but it's an intriguing one, Eric, because he has very good run-stop grades from Pro Football Focus, but really poor in terms of the pass rush. So it seems that the Vikings want to move him inside and make him a rotational player, do you like that idea? Do you like that pick as a guy who's going to have to switch positions? And maybe how tough might that be? Or what are the chances that someone who has to switch positions like that 
ends up being a significant player in the NFL. Yeah, we've seen it across the board that any time a guy plays a different position in college than he did in the pro, it's just harder to project. Um, oftentimes, you know, you see a coach, you know, can identify those situations and, and do well. I think even like Daniil Hunter's role at LSU was far different than it was when he ended up playing for the Vikings, and that's a hit, right? Like, but we don't, we miss on all the ones where, you know, a guy was switched and then he didn't end up being anything. I think with him, I think with Holmes, what you have, which I think is somewhat encouraging, although, you know, it, it plays to the small sample size. He played 90 snaps, 150 snaps, 400 snaps, and finally last season played about 575 snaps. He improved every year, but we still have, I think, relatively little data on him. He was a good run stuffer, but that's not going to be as relevant if he's playing kind of inside of the nickel packages and things like that. So, um, I don't know. I, you know, like his size, 6'5", 270, that's pretty good. And he didn't generate some pressures at Ohio State, but you always have to wonder, is that because of, you know, the Boses playing around him and things like that, that he's able to come have some production? But we had him further down the board at about 157, where he was picked at 102. So, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical on him, but they do need depth, right? They, they lost, they got Richardson, but Richardson came at the price of losing Johnson and Stephan. So, I do think that they need some depth on the interior or even as a sort of a base down, you know, a left defensive ended base. Um, so I think he sort of at least preliminarily is a body there. But um, it is tough to project a guy, you know, if he's going to switch positions uh, college to pro. Eric, it's really interesting that I was looking at the pro football focus big board and Jalen Holmes, who was drafted in the third round, was lower than Colby Gossett, who you have uh, mentioned a couple times already. Uh, is that your potential late round steal for the Vikings where you could see him becoming maybe not a starter this year, but maybe even playing some type of role and then eventually being a starting guard for the Vikings or kind of a, a late round steal here, which would be really interesting because they drafted a kicker ahead of him and it seems yeah. like, but it seems like he's an intriguing player. Yeah. And, the funny, yeah. So the the funny thing about him is that it, it appears from the data that they switched their scheme a little bit from 2016 to 17, um, and and as such, his grade kind of fell off, um, especially as a run blocker. But if you look, and we did a study of, about this for a different team that was a zone running team, and it was sort of looking for guards to draft, and and the thing was was you know if you look at him at the the whole thing, right? If you just look at him as a guard and how did he do, looking at all the plays. It was somewhat underwhelming. But if you looked at just him specifically, um, you know, as a zone blocking guard, he was good, you mm-hmm. know. And so that that is one of those things where if you're the Vikings, you might be able to get at least the 100, 137th best player at 213 because he's literally off some team boards because he just doesn't fit. And so you take a guy like that, no sacks allowed in 2017 as a guard, um, you know, Traditionally, you know, the Vikings haven't been great at drafting offensive linemen, um, but when they have had some players, you know, contribute, especially on the interior of the offensive line, it's been guys like John Sullivan, who was a sixth-round pick. Uh, Brandon Busco had some good years. He was a sixth-round pick. Like, you know, they, just because they didn't get a guard in the early rounds doesn't mean a guy like Gossett can't come in and start for them. Um, and so I, I like to pick just because, again, what it does is it allows for the data to have a little bit more context uh, and, and for him to fit with the Vikings in a way different than he'll fit with other teams. Uh, the kicker thing, is it as bad as I think it is, <laughs> drafting a kicker in the fifth round? Yeah. Yep. Uh, so, 
the and we uh, our friend uh, Ethan Young did this study uh, a couple I believe a couple years ago where he said you know he looked at um, Pro Football Reference and how like they measured value for kickers and it showed that kickers who are undrafted on average have a higher uh, basically value for their team than kickers who are undrafted, which is sort of like hard to or sorry undrafted better than drafted. And it's sort of hard to, to imagine, but actually we've seen this as Viking observers. When you draft a kicker, your impetus is to stay with him longer, mm-hmm. which means there's some survival bias and there's just like more missed kicks, right? Like I've, I've, I've gone through this a couple of times. If Kai Forbath misses the kick against Seattle in 2015, the offseason isn't spent trying to figure out how to change Kai's psyche, right? Like it's, okay, we're going to get a new kicker because Kai right. can't make big kicks. And and it's like, I think every kicker should, every single kicker, given the mental pro- problems that are inherent with that position, every single kicker should have that associated with that. When you take a kicker with high draft capital, you are not, you, you have to basically say, I'm willing to cut Roberto Aguayo at any time, which is not feasible for a second-round pick. For a fifth-round pick, and actually for the Vikings, it's more like he's a fifth-round pick plus other picks because they made the trade for him. Um you know, they're just going to be less likely to do that. And we saw that with Blair Walsh in 2015 and 2016. The Vikings held on to him far too long and I think cost themselves some games. And then there's, of course, the issue of trading up. And, and generally speaking, I believe in this case, um, when they trade up for that pick, they win, they get more value about 42% of the time. So you're just taking a loss there, uh, mathematically when you trade up and, and doing so for a kicker, as Ethan has showed, is probably worse. But other than that, Totally fine. Other than that, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, and and the funny thing about about the funny thing about um, Carlson is that he missed nine kicks a season ago. Is actually very Walshian in the fact that like his worst season in college was his last. And so again, you're not only betting on the fact that he's going to be like a really good kicker, right? Like better than Justin Tucker, who went undrafted. Like you're you're also betting on the fact that you can change. What, what was a bad trend going into last season, you know, going into the offseason. So that's why I just, I, I don't see it. And, and Forbath, for as much as we've, you know, kind of joked around about him, I mean, he made some big kicks for the Vikings. That, that kick that he made against the Saints, if the rest of that game doesn't go the way it goes, that's one of the biggest kicks in franchise history. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 you know, we just sort of slough it off because he missed some extra points early on in his tenure, but he, he was a good kicker. So, um, and, and as I said before, expendable, which I think is a, a kicker's second most valuable trait. Yeah, no, that's, that's right. That you can move on whenever you want to. And, uh, Kai Forbath was set to make $630,000 this year, assuming that they just give the job to the other guy. Uh, I mean, so with no guaranteed money, you can move on whenever you want to move on from him. And that is one of the best things about him, but. Almost 90% of kicks over the last two years on his field goals. I guess I wouldn't be that concerned over a couple of extra points. I, I'd try to just get that figured out. Uh, two guys that the Vikings got undrafted free agents are ranked intriguingly high on Pro Football Focus's big board. One of them being Hercules Mata'afa, who is, I think, caught the interest of a lot of fans because of his name, for one. But you guys had him as the 63rd best player in the entire draft. And then Holton Hill, who was uh, in the 200s, but still higher than some of the guys that the Vikings actually drafted. 
With the now, you're still talking about a position change for Mata Afa. It seems that the team has changed his position again already after minicamp to defensive end from linebacker from where he actually played, which was a defensive tackle. But him as a player, uh, it seems to have really incredible numbers, but not quite the strength or maybe not quite the the weight that usually goes along with that position to be inside or maybe even on the outside. So what, what do you make of those two guys? Yeah, the Mata Appa one was always going to be interesting because his statistics for us were terrific, right? Pressuring the quarterback, stopping the run, everything like that, great, you know, fantastic. But he was doing things at Stanford that were just simply different in terms of like, you know, the way that he was shooting gaps, so, you know, his alignment and everything like that. Like, we were, I think, very, very upfront with this idea that, like, his, he's a projection at the next level because, you know, he, we don't necessarily know, like, if this is ever going to translate because he might not be asked to do these things ever again. So that was an issue. Where I see him possibly is this idea of standing up over the center in their nickel and dime packages, much like Brian Robinson did, and pressuring the quarterback that way. I think, in a league that's increasingly pass heavy, in a league that's increasingly, you know, sub package, I think guys like that might have value, even though on base downs they might not be, they might not have, you know, as much value because they're not doing, you know, they don't do traditional football things. I think that somebody like that can have some value dropping into coverage, pressuring the quarterback, all those kinds of things that Robinson's done in that sort of stand up, you know, Michael Johnson role for the Vikings, if you will, the last few years. So I like that. Um, if he doesn't work out, they can continue to go with what they've gone with. But uh, I think that's a good flyer they take. Holton Hill's really interesting. Almost zero snaps on the inside, so he's a very much an outside corner. He's also very tall, six foot three. So he, you know, he's a player that I think, is, you know, is in the Zimmer mold in terms of an outside cornerback. Um, weirdly, though, he played, you know, more snaps in 2015 than 2016 and 2017. So kind of. They get an injury in 2016, and then 2017, he kind of they laid off him a little bit. But he was Texas's top graded player on on uh, their entire team last year. So very, you know, very good. Uh, I think season to season ago, only a 48.1 pass rating was targeted. So I'm not exactly sure, you know, why he fell so far. But I think the Vikings got a good value there. And, and while the cornerback room is pretty full, I think he might be a dark horse to make. I think it would probably be the fact that he was suspended by his team at the end of the year and then failed a drug test at the combine. That's <laughs> probably what did. Is that is that so? The, so that's information that that's information that I that I, I guess I didn't read up on. But yeah, that's probably it. Then. Yep. And in that case, and in that case, I think your your uh, axiom uh, plays. Always you draft know, the weed always, guy. Always draft the weed guy. I don't have I said this on the podcast before about always draft the weed guy. Just that there are so many guys who have either had that problem in college or failed the drug test at the combine and it drops them off the board and they end up being gigantic steals. Two that come to mind right away are Tyron Matthews, a fourth round pick. And at least for <laughs> at least for a couple years there, I don't know where he'll go in the future because he's had some injuries, but at least for a couple years he's this dynamic force on defense. And Janoris Jenkins, I think he was kicked out of Florida or something, which is almost impossible to do. And he ends, Marcus Peters as well. Yeah, yeah, right, right. And these guys end up becoming star NFL players because guess what? Lots of people smoke pot, and some people get caught, and maybe they're not the smartest people uh, when it comes to that. But if you're asking a guy to be an outside corner and uses physical gifts, then um, yeah, I, like they should be able to do that, even if they aren't 
Terrence Newman level brainy or if they just love their weed. Like maybe hopefully they just don't get suspended when it comes to the NFL and that stuff should be allowed anyway, seeing as it's legal in states. So there's my always draft the weed guy. There's the short version. Um, that, that was one of your first takes that I ever, I ever remember when you moved here. So I, I, it's a, it's something that I carry with. I didn't even, like you said, like you just said, I didn't even consider his path, uh, when I looked at, at his data just because of that. I mean, you do worry about him getting suspended from his team. I, I would say that there is that. And if he goes undrafted, usually these teams do draft guys. They just wait a little longer when it's just weed is the problem. So there might have been some other stuff, too, that goes along with uh, his background that would be concerning why he went undrafted. Uh, I, th- I also think there's a possibility they could try him at safety because when I watched him play, he is such a great tackler. He is so aggressive, and he's got that size that you mentioned. And I wonder if they mix him in there a little bit or or see if he might be a fit because I'm guessing that safeties are going to get smaller as we go forward in the NFL, smaller and and faster, or at least maybe not weigh 220 pounds like they used to back in the day, that there will be many more 200-pound, 190-pound safeties than there were. Um, Anyway, the last thing I wanted to talk with you about, Eric, is just the schedule coming up here for the Vikings. I mentioned that it's pretty tough. They've got a lot of great quarterbacks that they're going to go up against this year. When you look at this schedule, is I want to know one team that you think everyone else is looking at is that that should be a win that might be harder than we think it is. And then on the other side of the coin, a team that we might overrate or that might be a lot worse than they were last year. Yeah, that's a great question. I think the easy answer right now, and the Vikings play this, this team twice, is Chicago. I think, uh, all, you know, a lot of our numbers this season ago were very, very bullish on their defense. Uh, I think they've just gotten better there with Roquan Smith. They could probably use uh, a little bit more in the in terms of pass rush from guys like Leonard Floyd. Uh, but they're a very good defense, and then they did a lot of the things that you – want a team and you've seen this as sort of like the blueprint that Eagles did it, the Rams did it. They put players around their rookie quarterback to make sure that if he's not if he doesn't succeed, it's entirely his fault. And I think that that is that's, you know, a very good recipe for, you know, they they drafted an interior lineman in the second round, I believe, and, and they got Taylor Gabriel, Allen Robinson, Trey Burton, they got two good running backs. So I, I think they're gonna be a team um, you know, we, when we looked at our over-under model in terms of like win projections, Chicago is a very, I think that they're over under six and a half wins. I think the over there is very valuable. I think Chicago is probably, you know, a team that could easily be 10 and six, nine and seven and give the Vikings fits. The Vikings never play well in Chicago. So that's something, uh, that I think is, is good to look at. Um, I think, you know, one of the, one of the, you know, one of the sneakier teams I also think that the Vikings might overlook is the Seattle Seahawks. Um, I know the, the entire league is sort of like fading them because they, they lost a ton of players defensively. They drafted a running back in the first round and traded up for a punter. Um, but they still have Russell Wilson and Russell Wilson's the type of player that I'd never think you can count out. I think he's worth, you know, three, four, five wins just himself. And then you put, you know, put other guys in there like Doug Baldwin or Earl Thomas. Uh, Bobby Wagner, KJ Wright. I think, uh, you know, playing them on the road, I think that's going to be a really tough game for the Vikings. Um, and then a team that I think that the Vikings, you know, that, that might not be, uh, you know, might struggle 
Um, a team that might be very bad is, I think, the Dolphins, uh, who the Vikings play later in the season. I just don't, I just don't see, uh, their roster being one where, uh, you know, they have many good players at all. And then Ryan Tannehill is sort of one of those quarterbacks I think is very, uh, supporting cast dependent. Um, but sort of maybe at a higher level, I think, um, the St. Louis or the Los Angeles Rams, I think, are a team that's probably a little bit overrated at this point. And I know we see them sort of as a juggernaut already, but, we, we kind of see this all oftentimes where a team sort of pops up one year and they regress a little bit in their second year of being good. I don't see the Rams not being a, you know, above 500 team. I just don't necessarily see them as a Super Bowl favorite that everybody else does. With teams that were great the year before and then how much it can change, the Oakland Raiders should be a great example for everybody because they went into last year as a Super Bowl favorite in the AFC, and at the end of the year they're hiring John Gruden to the most ludicrous contract that has ever been handed out. I mean, So it's like uh, incredible how much things can change. Now, I'm going to tiptoe into this take, and if this turns out to be wrong, I'm very sorry to everyone, but that game on the road against the Patriots, I wonder if at that point in the season the Patriots are much worse than anyone would have expected them to be because they're the Patriots. Because at some point, it has to start going down, right? At some point, it has to. Mm-hmm. And with even with Peyton Manning, wasn't he the MVP the year before? I mean, they won the Super Bowl, but he was so bad and he had the injuries and he kind of fell apart that – eventually this has to happen with that team and maybe some of the cracks in the armor, the headbutting between Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, whatever Gronkowski's status is. That's the one I look at as, okay, maybe the Patriots won't be awful, but they might be a little bit easier than we think they're going to be right now. Is that, is that just like too flaming hot of a take for, for this podcast or what? I mean, at some point in time, it's got to happen, right? And the Patriots were a team. And the, the funniest thing is sort of going back and looking at old Patriots teams, which is very characteristic of them. They, their metrics on defense were terrible. They were only giving up like the fifth most points in the league per game, right? At some point in time, that has to sort of, those two numbers have to converge to each other. Um, you know, the Patriots, I think, sort of getting back to their tight ends and running the football, the, the pick of Sony Michelle. Uh, the, the left, you know, the Isaiah win that they drafted. I think that they are reloading. Um, you know, yeah, I, I think that they're taking reloading seriously, but at some point in time, as you said, you know, Peyton Manning, 2014, 2013 was the MVP of the league, took a team to the Super Bowl. By the time it got to 2015, he couldn't play anymore, you know, and, and, uh, and I think that that, that, you know, is, is real. I also think that there's always like one game every year. So this year it was the Patriots playing the Dolphins, uh, on the road on Monday night. But like the Patriots always sort of start out like two and two, and then they like rip off ten straight, and then they have like a dud <laughs> yeah. in, in 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 November. I think in 2016 they lost Seattle at home um, in 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 late November, early December. This last year was the Dolphins. The Vikings would sort of be a perfect team to sort of knock them off one game um, uh, on on that way. So I do I do not I do not think that that's a sure loss uh, for sure for the Vikings, um, even though they haven't beaten the Patriots. I think since. Uh, I think, uh, I think the last, you know, the 2000, I think Belichick's first year, they beat the Patriots on the road, and I don't think they've beaten them since. So, Last thing for you, and I'll probably have you on this podcast and ask you this question multiple times again before we get to the actual start of the NFL season, which uh, when you think about it is quite a ways away. Uh, as, as far as just pure roster strength, where do the Minnesota Vikings sit in the entire NFL? I think that they are probably in the top 
in the top eight. Um, I think if you, on a good day, they're in the top two or three, and in a, on a bad day, they're probably in the top dozen. Um, I think it's, it's very similar to what we just talked about with the Rams, where, and you saw this, you saw this with the 2016 Vikings, right? They had a good year in 2015. They sort of regressed, but then we sort of see that they're still on the right trajectory. 2008, 2009, Falcons are sort of the same thing where they had a, a good season that dropped down, kind of, you know, I, I do think that the variability is so big there, but, um, I think the Vikings have a top five defense, uh, every single season player wise. And I just think it just depends upon, um, what they get out of their offensive line, whether the injuries, uh, hit them the way they did in 2016 or they can sort of uh, deal with them the way they did in 2017. And then it all comes down to how well Cousins played. Eric, as always, awesome stuff. Great to check in with you, and we will do it again very soon. Thanks for having me. All right, and thank you all for listening to the Purple Podcast. Just wanted to remind everybody I've gotten a couple of really good questions that people have sent in for Courtney and I to talk about when we get together next week. It can be anything you want. I mean, it can be life if you like, but, I mean, focus to football. Anything you want, just feel free to send me a tweet, send me or her uh, an email, tweet, whatever you want to do. And uh, we will answer your questions because it is May, and we're going to try to talk about this team as interestingly as possible, but there's only so many times we can ask if Mike Remmers is moving to guard. So feel free to send anything you want along, and thank you for listening to this episode of the Purple Podcast. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar, or pie made with fresh cosmic crisp apples. There are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.